0: Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Berkeley Grok Science Show.
1: That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming
0: up on today's show, antifreeze, mooning, and hunger.
1: In addition, we'll be joined by Mr. Leander Connie, who will discuss the cult of the iPod.
0: Also, we'll find out what the Detroit wavelength is.
1: So stay tuned for all of this, plus the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week, coming right up here on the Berkeley Grok Science Show. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How you doing, Frank?
0: Good. Where are we in the year now?
1: It's hard to say because the new year rolls around and what are you going to do? <laughs> it's like a brand new start. Brand new start. And I, I hope a brand new start will come around next week because I'm already screwing this year up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, have you woken up from your hibernation?
1: Not quite yet. I think uh, my metabolism is still on low burn.
0: So you yeah. must have that antifreeze protein in you, huh?
1: <laughs> Pretty much kept me surviving through the winter, yeah. Oh, it turns out. As has the blubber. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it turns out that in a lot of extremophiles, they have certain proteins that act as an antifreeze and prevents entire animals from freezing, even though the temperature has actually gone below the zero degrees of water. And they've actually, for the first time, been able to identify a particular protein in the particular species of snow fleas.
1: I would imagine it'd be pretty easy to freeze a snow flea. But
0: But it can come back alive once you thought. Pretty cool. They were able to identify this particular protein because when you try to purify it and you uh, do it in an icy solution, the proteins bind to the ice and become part of the matrix while the others are not into the ice. So
1: it prevents like the crystallization effect that could disrupt cellular tissues, I imagine.
0: For this particular purification process, it's sort of separation. So Uh it's embedded in the uh, solid matrix while the other proteins are washed away in the solution. But the great thing about this particular protein is that once you heat it up, it breaks apart, which means if you use it for human organ transplant, Mm and put your new organ into another body, once you uh, heat it up, the proteins will just go away. You don't have to worry about uh, the post-infectious right. effects or antibodies forming because of that. Oh,
1: yeah, wow. Presumably, then, this is the application that people are trying to right. use it for. Right,
0: cryo-freeze your body, I guess. Body tissues, yeah. <laughs> and the interesting thing is this particular protein has lots of glycine, and glycine is, has the same structure to what's found in glycol, right? one of the main ingredients in the antifreeze. Antifreeze,
1: okay that makes sense
0: this was carried out by the california institutes for health research and it was published in science
1: How do you get your oxygen?
0: Mostly from the air.
1: You don't get it out of minerals in the rocks in the Earth?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I try to uh, electrolyze the water in myself and split the water and o- hydrogen and oxygen, but it doesn't quite work so well.
1: It's kind of difficult, I think. <laughs> Running a few volts through yourself usually isn't very good generally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I used to cheat, but mine's kind of weak, you know.
1: Perhaps on the moon. On the moon? That's what NASA is trying to do. They're actually trying to extract oxygen from a mineral that's on the moon called ilamite.
0: So is this some uh, scheme to form an atmosphere on the moon by releasing the oxygen from its minerals?
1: Well, maybe not a complete atmosphere, but at least to support a colony of humans that would use the moon as a station for interstellar space travel.
0: You know, I saw Star Trek, too. Didn't they have that, the Genesis device or something?
1: Yeah, that doesn't really work so well because uh, <laughs> Khan usually gets a hold of it and tries to blow up Kirk, so. <laughs> Pretty difficult. <laughs> but this is actually part of uh, NASA's greater aim. They're actually, a recent study used the Hubble Space Telescope to try and peer onto various craters on the moon. Mm-hmm. And what they've done is they actually studied the Aristarchus crater, which actually allows them to actually peer pretty deeply in because this is a very deep impact crater. Uh-huh. And they're actually just analyzing the composition of the minerals deep in the uh, moon's uh, surface. So uh, the finding is, hopefully, if they have a lot of this ilmenite mm-hmm. and they can extract a lot of oxygen from it, then it's quite promising as a means for producing oxygen on the moon. Wow. So, fascinating stuff, and if anyone is actually interested in this, they can take a look. It's reported on the uh, NASA press release.
0: So, how do you control your fluids, Charles? A
1: uh, combination of osmosis <laughs> and the kidneys. And a little gravity, probably. Yeah, I stand on my heads so if it starts leaking out too quickly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So it turns out you may actually be able to do this using electrical fields.
1: Well, I guess that makes sense, since at least the urine content has some... (laughs) Kind of
0: ionic. Ionic character, yeah. Analytical chemists have been using this phenomena for uh, capillary electrophoresis, where they actually have a solution of charged molecules dissolved in it, and then by running an electrical field across the uh, column, they can accelerate these particles to go from one end to the other. So basically, a separation mechanism based on the charge to mass ratio. By doing that, you can drive the actual fluid flow to this column, and it's Envisioned that you can actually create entire devices of valves by changing the voltage Ah. across the column.
1: So an electric field valve.
0: (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Wow. And not one valve, but a series of them, and create basically a micro circuit to do Ah. massively parallel experiments, where you be able to pump, for example, different type amino acids into each chamber and do a combinatorial many, many, many times.
1: Okay. What's the matter with like a conventional valve? It's not usable at that scale, I imagine.
0: Well, conventional valves require moving parts, and right. they eventually break down. But if you can do it all electronically, mm. then that's much more efficient. And you can do some cool uh, DNA experiments very, very fast and cheaply.
1: Wow, OK. I'll look forward to that then. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm tired of turning valves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it, this is interesting work carried out by Dong Yang here at the Department of Chemistry, along with uh, Arun Majunder in the uh, Mechanical Engineering Department. Oh, very cool.
1: Right, and finally Frank, are you hungry?
0: My hunger consumes me.
1: So do you eat a lot then?
0: I guess so, but one day my stomach will just eat me like uh, sea urchins do that.
1: Yeah, well, there's that story of the organism that basically once it finds a rock to cling onto, uh-huh. it eats its own brain and just starts filter feeding.
0: It still stays alive without the brain.
1: Yeah, it doesn't need it because it can just start filter feeding at that point from the stuff that flows off the rock or in the sea by it. Oh, okay. And the analogy is that that's quite a lot like a professor after tenure. <laughs> the main, the main point here. We always get off on these tangents somehow. <laughs> (laughs) The main point here is that eating can kill you.
0: Eating can kill you? Well, I know obesity can kill a lot of people.
1: (laughs) Well, that's true. But there's sort of been this link for quite some time between calorie restriction and longevity. Uh Uh-huh question is though whether or not it's just calorie restriction or there's some other mechanism involved that's actually creating the longevity from eating fewer calories.
0: I saw we're actually adapted to not eat very much and so the body's actually in a constant state of stress which mm-hmm. actually makes us stronger but because we're always well fed mm-hmm. we lose that state of being alert and so by attrition we just age faster.
1: Another theory is that there's sort of oxidative damage that comes about just from ah, the breaking down okay. of all these materials.
0: Especially sugars, right? Right.
1: But it's not really known, so people have actually started to do some epidemiological studies, and one study that was actually quite interesting is that a group of researchers under a group of studies called Calorie, <laughs> mm-hmm. funded by the Obesity Society...
0: I'll put it stands for something, but... <laughs> <laughs>
1: So actually what they found is, in fact, any combination of low-calorie diets and exercise actually will lead to the same effect as or calories restrictions. Uh-huh. So it's not really clear whether or not just calorie restriction itself is important or there's some added benefit from eating moderately less and exercising as well. Right. So again, this just adds to the growing question of exactly what is this calorie restriction doing?
0: Mm. So the secret of long life?
1: <laughs> eat right and exercise more, which I think they've been saying for years.
0: Right. Or eat substantially less, right?
1: Yeah. I wouldn't give up at all just yet. <laughs> <laughs> again, this was actually published in a recent edition of uh, Science
0: Now. And that's all for our look at current developments in the world of science and technology this week. This is Berkeley You're listening to here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, Mr. Leander Caney joins us to talk about the Cult of the iPod, so stay tuned. back to Berkeley Rocks. Well, it's that time of the year again. That's right. It's the week of Mac World, and this week there are many exciting developments happening in the world of Apple Computer and technology in general. Well, joining us today is Mr. Leander Caney, editor of Wire News. He's the author of The Cult of the Mac and recently just came out with a follow-up, The Cult of the iPod. Uh, Mr. Caney, Thanks for joining us today on Berkeley Grox. You're welcome, Frank. This new book you have, The Cult of the iPod, uh, is it a follow-up on the, uh, your previous one?
2: Indeed, yeah, it is. Uh, and it was initially going to be just a um, chapter in the second edition of Cult of Mac, but there was uh, so much to write about uh, with the iPod and iPod culture that uh, it became obvious that it wanted a book of its own.
0: You know, summing through your book, I noticed there's a lot of uh, anecdotes and stories. Um did you compile themselves, or did you have uh, readers send them to you? Oh, uh, a
2: lot of it was uh, original reporting that I did for Wired News. So I was watching uh, the iPod take off, and and did a lot of stories um, in the early days of the iPod about its impact uh, on listening habits and uh, music culture. This is, you know, when it was there was a, when the iPod was was uh, restricted to a fairly small club of, uh, you know, many Mac users. And then when, you know, it went mainstream, and and this is sort of when I put together the book, just when that was beginning to happen, you know, like about a year ago now. So there was a lot of stories about that, you know, and, and it really, Uh, has taken off in this past year. So the book is a lot about, you know, it's the way it's changing listening habits, you know, the way that things like random shuffle uh, or the playlist is now the sort of the main unit, uh, listening unit rather than, you know, it used to be the single, then the LP, then the CD. Now it's all about the playlist uh, and the the consequences of that, you know, things like playlistism, how people um, manage their uh, music um, collections, Uh, so that other people who who look at them over the network, you know, can't make value judgments about the kind of music they like. Um, So it was, you know, it's it's looking at sort of digital music culture and and how the iPod is defining it. And and that's really sort of taken off in the last year or so. You know, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it that the music's going digital. I mean, we're buying it online. We're listening to it on our computers. The computer has taken over the stereo in the living room, you know, as a source of... uh, of music, or in fact, well, the iPod has, really. So it's a a snapshot of of the sort of, you know, how the iPod has really taken digital music by the horns and is defining it.
0: What were some of the more um, interesting stories uh, you came across with the iPod?
2: Um, I guess, you know, iPod jacking was a little bit unusual. I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, When people um, share their iPod jacks to listen to to each other's music, Um, and this is sort of a, something that happened because of the white headphones, you know, it made it so distinctive, people, would recognize, you know, another iPod user, and, and again, especially in the early days, it, it, it the white headphones meant you were a part of a special club, and, and, and it was probably pretty likely that you had something in common with somebody, and, you know, even another stranger you just saw on the street, if they had a pair of white headphones, you probably, it, it's a good way to break the ice you know, you could uh, talk to them. So there were some reports um, of people sharing uh, headphone jacks, uh, just to see what, you know, the other person was listening to. Uh, recently, I did a story about a, a kid uh, from Palm Springs, uh, California, who who met his girlfriend uh, doing this in a in a cinema uh, at the local mall. Um, so it's kind of it's you know it's a pretty good way to break the ice to talk to you, you know. There's stories about this in New York and on the subway and stuff like that. And uh, but also you know to, to to actually discover new music. Although the discovering new music is more like MP3Js, um, mm-hmm. these iPod nights, uh, which which soon has taken off everywhere. It looks like there's an iPod night um, now in, in hundreds or, or thousands even of um, towns and cities across the world. This is where um, a pub or a club will let the patrons bring their iPods in and spin tunes for everybody else. And people, you know, take turns. They spend they, they, uh, It's certainly in New York at this club called APT, and there they have a deli counter where you take a ticket, and then when your number comes up, you get seven minutes to spin tunes off a couple of iPods that they've laid on for this. But, uh, you know, everywhere's slightly different. And there are places now in, in London and New York and San Francisco and Philadelphia. And, you know, you, you, you name it. I mean, there's, there's, there seems to be um, these MP3 nights uh, all over the place. And that's really kind of democratized, uh, you know, the, the whole kind of DJ thing. People are entertaining themselves rather than sort of turning up to, be, to listen to the music that the DJ chooses.
0: Well, the iPod certainly has become an icon. Uh, is this something that Apple had actually planned or did the iPod just somehow have a life of its own?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, totally out of the blue. I, I don't think uh, anyone, especially not Apple, you know, realised you know four years ago what, what they what they what they had on their hands. And I think uh, you know really it's it, it's been this last year that it's really become this unstoppable juggernaut. Uh, and I was just writing a, a sort of year-end review, looking back at some of the stories that were being written about Apple and the iPod a year ago. It's surprising, but Apple's stock was at its lowest in December 2004, mm-hmm. and people were saying you know Apple's got to open up the iPod otherwise they're going to make the same mistake they made in the PC market, which was, you know, to have um, a closed proprietary system, you know, and then someone like Microsoft, which has an open, a so-called open system, you know, they, they license their technology to to as many magic manufacturers that are interested in using it. The conventional wisdom a year ago was that Apple was going to have to do this with the iPod, open it up to Napster and Real Networks and all its competitors. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they, you know, people, the consumers were going to abandon it, and they, they wouldn't go for this closed proprietary system any longer. They wanted, you know, something that was open. Right. And because it is open, I mean, really, it, because it's an MP3 player, which, which um, even though that's proprietary, you know, it, it's the, the sort of de facto standard format that everyone uses to store their music uh, digitally um, anyway you know so but now that now the story is completely different there was a story in the wall street journal about a month ago saying that microsoft is going to have to do this with its xbox i mean and, and that's exactly what microsoft has done i mean the xbox supports the ipod the, the year has really changed you know apple stock of course is double what it used to be and they're going to sell 11 million ipods uh this last quarter almost every every three months they almost double sales you know apple doesn't have to open up anymore to survive that, that, that the story has completely changed I and mean, it it's all the people that have to accommodate Apple these days. You know that, that that was that that really has been. You know what happened this last year? The iPod is no one can doubt it. I'm. They saying there was a story as well there just just a couple of days ago saying that CES is all about, you know, the iPod. It seems insane, but there's no way anyone would have predicted that a year ago, you know, let alone four years ago when the iPod was introduced. It's really surprising because in the past, you know, these technological revolutions have often been picked up by, you know, dozens of companies. So the Walkman, for example, even though Sony developed it and they sold, you know, $340 they soon were copied by a whole bunch of cheaper knockoffs. And even though and Walkman was, you know, synonymous for, for portable tape players, you know, Sony, I think, lost the the market lead pretty quickly to lower price competitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you haven't seen that with the iPod at all. And I think, you know, it's an interesting question. Why not? Why has anyone ever been able to replicate it? Why have the other... MP3 players manufacturers um, come up with with a good alternative. Now, why hasn't Microsoft, you know, with its with its Windows Media and its monopoly uh, in in desktops, you know, why haven't they been able to unseat Apple? And um, you know, I I think because the, um, you know it's a it's a multifaceted product. Mm-hmm. The iPod it's not just a a hardware player uh, that you have to rip off. It's it's the software that feeds it the digital jukebox and iTunes, plus also the iTunes music store. So you know, they've they've taken on this whole um, ecosystem of digital music that that's pretty hard. To, you know, it's pretty hard and complex to replicate.
0: The iPod originally started as a music player, and recently it gained the capacity to play video. You know, what are some of the more unintended uh, uses uh, that have come about?
2: What surprised me about it was that people really like it. The iPod video, watching video on an iPod. You know, the, mm-hmm. the conventional wisdom was that people wouldn't watch video on a on a tiny screen but there's been some really interesting reports saying you know that it, i don't have one unfortunately uh, my wife will not me buy one but um how immersive the experience is you know and that and there was um an interesting um commentary in the in the New york times of the weekend you know from a guy who uses it during his commute and he said you know he's got three kids and a busy job and this is his you know private time when he's on the bus and he used to read but he would get distracted and now he can plug his earphones in and be totally lost in uh, of all things lost you know the tv show that he downloads and so and 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 it was a really convincing and um he was talking about his experience of the thing and he, how absorbed he got in it and how much he enjoyed it and this was something that um i mean jobs many times said that he they would never do a video ipod because there wasn't the equivalent of a set sort of headphones for video you know and it was something that video was something you had to do to the exclusion of everything else. You know, right. when you sit down to watch a video, you you can't be working, you can't be jogging, you can't be doing something else, you know, while you're listening to music. You have to sit down and concentrate on it. And so people were like, you know, I mean, most Americans um, drive to work, and public transport isn't that popular in this country. Um, you know, and if you're going to be sitting on an airplane, you might as well watch your laptop instead of, a um, you know, an iPod. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, there was a lot of skepticism, but it seems, you know, at least for, you know, for a lot of people that... Uh, there is room for this um this media experience that that was kind of surprising to me because excuse me i i was skeptical too Mm -hmm. that's another reason i don't have the video ipod you know i really don't have anywhere to use it to watch it you know (laughs) either sit in front of a computer all day or if i go home i can watch tv Uh um so um you know that's that's still probably true i think for probably a large part of people and that was what was clever about apple this is primarily a, a music device that also does video, so it's an ancillary function, you know, it's an extra. Mm-hmm. They, they, didn't, they haven't marketed it as a, as a video-watching device, you know, right. which, I, which I don't think would be as compelling to, to a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Frank. Thank you for having me. And we were just talking to Mr. Leander Kaney from Wired News. His new book, The Cult of the iPod, is now available online and bookstores around the country. This is Berkeley Rocks you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. Coming up, we'll find out what the Dubois wavelength plus the Baracotron 5000. So stay tuned. Back to Break the Well, Mr. Kenya has kindly agreed to join us on this week's edition of the Grocotron 5000, the computer formerly known as Deep Blue. And today's topic is Wired or Unwired. And here are five subjects. Subject number one Oprah Winfrey, Wired or Unwired? <laughs> unwired.
2: I don't watch it, so I don't really know. I mean, maybe she is wired. You know, I just, she just doesn't, I don't know anything about it, really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even, I, can't, I don't even know if she's like, I guess she's popular, right? The, you know, the, the only thing I saw on was, um, I didn't see Letterman, I just saw reports about it, but uh, that was the biggest buzz I saw about Oprah this year. So I guess maybe she's wired, because <laughs> she went back on Letterman.
0: All right, subject number two, Microsoft um, Hancho, Bill Gates, wired or unwired? I guess he's wired,
2: he's got to be wired. Time man of the year, uh, <laughs> he's got a, um, a knighthood, and uh, he's given away a ton of cash. Unlike Steve Jobs, uh-huh. <laughs> who, as far as I know, doesn't give anything away. Well,
0: subject number three, uh, Linux, wired or unwired? Uh, I think Linux
2: is unwired. I I haven't heard a lot of buzz about Linux this year, except maybe Ubuntu Linux, but, you know, it, it, it really seems to have dropped off the map. No one's there. Uh, there's not a lot of buzz about Linux, uh, although I'm sure it's doing very, very well. But uh, there was, you know, at one time um, a lot of hype about Linux on the desktop and, that, that, that lasted for a number of years, but that, that definitely dropped off last year. No one's really talking about that any longer.
0: All right. Um, I guess the answer might be obvious for this one. Uh, wired or unwired, Apple designer Jonathan Ives. Oh,
2: wired, for sure. Yeah, he's gone from strength to strength. He's like, uh, he was voted um, the most influential Brit um, by some big poll in, in the UK. He beat out uh, Richard Branson and uh, Tony Blair. No, he beat them all out. He's You know, he's probably the most famous designer in the world, I think, or one of them anyway. So, um,
0: yeah, he's definitely wired. Okay, and finally, um, our perennial favorite, uh, wired or unwired, the President of the United States, George (laughs) W. Bush. I guess I'm in
2: I'm a safe ground, uh, Berkeley, right? So, uh, yeah, definitely unwired. I mean, he's the worst president ever, as a New Yorker likes to say. He, he does have an iPod,
0: you know.
2: Oh, well, yeah, but he didn't, what did he say? That uh, he shuffles the shuffle or something, people bungled that. I mean, it's unbelievable how he's such a bumbling idiot, but, I mean, he's evil, too. I mean, he is probably, and, and look at the people he's surrounded with, Rumsfeld and Cheney. They look like Hollywood villains. Yeah, what's on their
0: playlist?
2: Well, evil, evil stuff. I mean, those guys are, uh, you know, going straight to hell without doubt. Incredible, you know, spying on their own citizens. It just, you know, the latest news um, that he, you know, they, that they, uh, that they uh, uh, told the NSA to to spy on Americans. I mean, it's just, it's a dictatorship. I mean, they are above the law. The law makes no, you know, has not. They're not bounded by it. It makes no difference. Um, what happens? I mean, it's like uh, they're going to go down in history, is worse than Nixon. I mean, there's unbelievable band of crooks and incompetence ever. It's it's astonishing. Absolutely amazing.
0: All right, thanks a lot for joining us on this week's Crocotron 5000. Welcome, Frank. Thanks so much. And Forrest here with the answer to last week's question of the week What's the De Broglie wavelength? Well, the De Broglie wavelength is the correspondent wavelength of a particle, and that's the De right Broglie wavelength. <laughs>
1: All right, well, we're back, and uh, have a very special guest in the studio who's going to give this week's question of the week.
0: Yeah, isn't he, like, the science ambassador from Kenya or something?
1: We have our science ambassador from Kenya, Jason Kenya.
0: It's a pleasure to meet you, to (laughs) meet everybody here. But for me, my question would be, I would like to find out what, what is peak oil?
1: So if you know the answer to this question, oh. you can email us at grox at hotmail.com.
0: Uh, but you win anything, sorry to say so, but it's an educational thing. Don't worry. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox. Make
1: sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology.
0: If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grox, you can email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Link.
1: And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.